is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and today we are doing a listener choice, uh, you know, a selection from our listener choice poll selected by one of our patrons on Patreon. So thank you very much for that. And I've just realised that I don't have in front of me who it was <laughs> that actually got this. So let me just look that up for a second. Uh... uh it was, uh, I can tell you the album is Beast Wars by Beast Wars, the debut album by Beast Wars. Um, and it was, listen to poll, it was nominated by, I know two people nominated Beast Wars albums. Here we are, it was Brian Bibb. Brian Bibb got the, the winning entry, as it were. Um, but Andrew Salmond also nominated Beast Wars. He nominated their more re- the most recent album, Four. Um, so that was two people nominated the band, at least. And it's a band that we've talked about a few times in the, not on the show really, but they've come up a few times in the Facebook group in discussion. Sure. Yeah, there's a few people who posted like various tracks and live performances and stuff from them. So they feel like, even though I didn't really know anything about them before we started this, they feel like a band that I've been aware of for a while. I would say that I have been aware of them as well, but I knew, I had experienced next to nothing of their music until this so i was kind of excited to dig in and uh yeah it was a journey (laughs) yeah it was for me as well actually yeah so all right we'll we'll get into that later um let's just do follow-up from the last episode so the last episode was uh nija by orbit culture since then we've had a couple of new patrons kevin coleman and ryan potter thank you very much guys um yeah welcome to the show welcome to the community and thank you for your support um, and yeah, as I say, the last one was The Orbit Culture, which was an album that actually divided people more than I think I expected it would, uh, you know, in reception. I was surprised, I, I was amused, <laughs> as well as surprised at the division, especially over the vocals. Like, I probably saw just as many, because we get obviously messages through Patreon uh and in email sometimes as well as um on the facebook group and i think i probably saw as many people saying oh if this was all clean vocals i'd like it a lot more as said oh, i didn't like the clean vocals if this was all growls i'd like it a lot more <laughs> yeah and it's interesting too right like how and, and i just think of so many bands that we've talked about where i mean even more than the music the vocals are such a there's such a sticking point for people, right? The vocal style of a band, like even, I, I think that comes up more than, I didn't like the music from this band. It's, I didn't like the vocal style from this band, like as far as a reason why people check mm-hmm. out early from a lot of the stuff, um, whether it's, you know, uh, whether we're talking about Exodus or we're talking about Orbit Culture, like that, that seems to be almost like the number one bounce uh, reason that a lot of people give for any of the bands that we talk about. It is, Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and I'm sure the same is probably true of Beast Wars, because here we have another vocalist <laughs> with a very unique style, shall we For say. For sure. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting. I think, you know, maybe it's just down to the fact that obviously everybody's voice literally sounds different, uh, whereas there's only so many tones and pedals and amps and stuff that you can shove <laughs> guitars and drums through. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was just amusing to me how split how almost evenly split the divide felt between people who you know really liked the clean vocals or really liked the growls and didn't like the other um 
Yeah. yeah so I'll jump into a few of the, the responses that we got on the Facebook page, which again is uh, facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. If you haven't been there yet, like with regard to every episode, like there's over 70 comments to this episode, great discussions as always going on about new music and different music and stuff like that. But with regards to this particular album, uh, Stuart said, uh, I liked it well enough, but probably not on my repeat playlist. Uh, Matt said, another new band for me. I'm one of those bad people who rarely does their homework. So the podcast is often the first time I hear the album in question. And this was no exception. I'll definitely be listening to it again. I wouldn't want a whole album of the growled vocals uh, to your point, Anthony, yep. <laughs> uh, but like the contrast with the clean, but, but like the contrast with the cleaner ones and all of the cited musical influences are right up my street. Uh, Phil said, I didn't do my homework. So I've been listening to the tracks along with the episode. I wonder, we should do a poll at some point. How, how many, many people, people actually do the homework? Yeah. Yes. How many people do the the sort of uh, pre-work, if you will, uh, before they jump into the, that particular episode? He said, surprised by how much I actually like this album so far. I hear Metallica for sure, but also Gojira, Soilwork, Slipknot. And yes, I do hear Linkin Park occasionally. The key for me here is there is not enough. There is enough non-death growl vocals to break up the sheer brutality of this album. Good stuff for sure. And we'll definitely get a few more listens. Uh, let's see. Kenneth said, I think this is the most frustrating album that I've been introduced to on the podcast. He said, there is an amazing death metal band in there, but it's really held back by the singer's Hetfield problem. Some <laughs> cyber metal, and he put in parentheses, shutter, and the bang of new metal that turns up every now and again. As I say, there's a fantastic album here. If they'd let it. Uh, you see, those are all the things about the band that I like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then he put, and then he put uh, next to an asterisk, "Death to '90s drum sounds." It's a bass drum for f's sake. Um, I love that. I, I love a lot of that. It's just so funny to hear like people's people's contrast. Like he said, David said, "Love the heavy parts, massively turned off by the melodic stuff." I find myself saying that a lot with modern metal. It's not that I don't enjoy melody. I listen to a really wide variety of music, including a healthy amount of pop, and my favorite Paradise Lost album is One Second. But every post-Killswitch Engage metal band that does this heavy verse, melodic chorus thing seems to trade in the same anthemic, meandering, wailing, and sensitive whisper singing that just grates on my ears, which is a shame because the heavy parts do absolutely effing crush. Um, Which is interesting. Actually, I'd never... I mean, I can see his point, but I'd never really considered it as a sort of post-Kill Switch Engage thing before, you know? Uh, I wouldn't, it's not something that I would have laid at their feet, um, but I can see the argument for it, I suppose. You know, there's certainly the idea of doing quiet verse, big, uh, you know, soaring chorus kind of thing is not, was not new to them and is not that new. Um, you know, it was a staple of new metal for one thing, except that obviously that wasn't whispered verses so much. Or quiet no, but that I actually preferred this, if if you want to call it a, a sort of blueprint to mm. new metals, which was more melodic verse, screamy chorus. Yeah, that's what yeah. I I don't like, like saying things, saying things, saying things, <laughs> saying things. Like I don't like that. Uh, that is really turns me off from that genre. Yeah. Um, it, it's like a barrier entry for me, whereas for at least for like the kill switch blueprint where it's like uh, spoken or, you know, lowly sung or even whispered verses with uh, melodic choruses, that contrast in like clean versus brutal. I do uh, like corn. 
that's what I was trying. That's what I was reaching for. Corn, I I associate that more with. We who obviously predate Killswitch Engage. You know, sure. you think of Jonathan Davis's style, very much kind of like the quiet, whispered, or even occasionally whimpered uh, verses, and then the big choruses. The difference is that Jonathan Davis, you know, is a great frontman, not a fantastic singer. You know, it's not like he sort of belts out choruses in the way that somebody like Howard Jones used to. <laughs> Uh, David said, just started listening to the homework, been meaning to check out this band for ages. This is great. Very excited for the next episode now. Uh, and then he said underneath that, well, that certainly gave my weekly early morning trip to Aldi a very different vibe <laughs> than usual. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Listening to, uh, listening to the homework in a grocery store is, is going to be a, a journey for sure. Um, let's see. Andrew said, I'm kind of with Kenneth on this, that growl slash melodic chorus a chorus growl pattern is a new metal trapping that I'm not a big fan of. That being said, musically, I thought this was an absolutely brutal gem. Uh, and while his clean vocal left me a little cold at times, I really love his growl. It has a richness and power that makes it pop. I suspect on multiple listenings, I'll soften to the choruses. So this will stay in the rotation for me. Um, Kenneth picked out the quote, they needed a producer like Metallica needed Bob Rock. He said, I don't know if I should rage quit the podcast or find a torch and a pitchfork. <laughs> I will stand so by it. I will stand by it. <laughs> so good. I, I I mean, point taken. They needed an editor, right? They needed a, yeah, a producer. Yeah. They needed. Um, I mean, maybe they, you know, maybe they don't need somebody who would. Uh, quote unquote metal as much as Bob Rock did with sure. uh, Metallica, but yeah, they need you know. I'll stand by that they need somebody like him, willing to stand up and go. You know what? That's actually not very good. You can do better than that. Uh, Charles said, "I like this, but the production sounds a bit too slick for me to put this in my rotation. I'll definitely check out their next album whenever it comes out." Um, Alexandru said, I've been looking forward to this episode for ages, and it didn't disappoint. I love this band, and it was great to hear Anthony and Brian discussing the songs in detail. I found myself agreeing with both of them at different times, from Anthony's geeky musical additions to Brian's discussion of the lyrics. At the same time, I've been listening to this daily for the last month or so. So yes, wow. it's heavy, and it takes its toll, but my God, it's powerful. I don't listen to it for the lyrics, albeit very good. But that wall of sound is immense. I thought I was losing my musical ear, but I punched in the air when I heard Brian bring up the Linkin Park influence. <laughs> since I mentioned that, uh, since I mentioned it on this page under the last episode, finally this album takes me through many of my favorites: Metallica, Gojira, Parkway Drive, Typo Negative, and many, many more. However, I br I thought track ten sounded very much like a more upbeat Black God, My Dying Bride, uh, my favorite band. Anywhere. Uh, anyway, I love the episode. Love what you guys are doing. Keep it going. Let's see what yeah, else. I guess I here. can see that. I mean, the difference is that Black God has uh, a, a female vocals over violin. That's well, that, that track, and it is a very good track. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure I'd make that comparison necessarily. But I can see where he's coming from. Andrew said, "So no need to go over the Metallica comparisons. You guys covered well, uh, well covered that. But it's the Slipknot influence that intrigues me, partly because I think Orbit Culture improves on the formula." Uh, you may recall, I really didn't like that Slipknot album. He said, what I found so great about uh, Nija is the production. It is at times absolutely punishingly heavy, but also with a fair amount of dynamics in the songwriting and clean enough that you can distinguish all the instruments. I think the album sounds totally huge and also relatively clear, and that can be a difficult thing to pull off. 
It's one of those things I didn't like about the Slipknot album. I think that's the album Anthony posted a screenshot of the waveform and it was totally bricked. <laughs> yeah. uh, he said, I may have liked Slipknot more if their sound was less sloppy and more dynamic. Nisha does not make those mistakes. This album sounds terrific and is a solid addition to the T.O. canon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. You know, in terms of just if you want to be able to hear and separate every instrument, yes, you know, the Orbit Culture album is a much better example of how to do that. On the other hand, well, for a start, remember there are nine members of Slipknot. Yeah. <laughs> so trying to separate them all, you know, requires uh, some very tricky uh, audio mastering. But also, I don't think that was ever... On, I don't think that was ever something that Slipknot were aiming for. You know, as we said on the episode talking about that album, their stuff is co- controlled chaos uh, and not even that controlled sometimes. It is meant to be a wall of sound. Uh, so I don't think that was ever something they were trying to do, you know. I'll pull like three more here. Tordeth said, uh, absolutely not for me. In my opinion, they are the most nailed it band that we've covered. And he put in quotes, we want you to make a Hetfield-inspired three-tiered Slipknot album <laughs> with As I uh, as I Whitechapel chugs. He said, okay, nailed it. Uh, he said, they want to be As I Lay Dying so bad. I assume there are posters of Tim Lambesis in the recording studio. <laughs> um, Don said, I love this album from the start, but hilariously enough, my brain didn't put the Metallica influence up there until I listened to the show. Like Brian, I heard Chuck Billy all over the place. Anyway, for me, this album had a bit of uh, a bit of all. Great playing, some thick-ass riffs, and some very personable lyrics. The most succinct way I can describe this band is that they sound like the almost full-grown offspring of Gojira and Metallica. Uh, fair. But, I, Don, I love you, but how? How can you listen <laughs> to that album and not go, oh, he sounds a bit like Hetfield there? <laughs> well, didn't Don come in in the load era to Metallica? Oh, that's true. He is quite young. Yes, yeah. that's possible. So I think his his baby years did not um, did not register um, what that was because yeah I de- it's definitely to me like the early Metallica influence that we're talking about there. Uh, Dave said it's funny that Anthony mentioned some people might have a difficult time with the death growls on this album because I had the exact opposite reaction. I really did not care for the clean singing. The death growl was so on point for me and gave the song so much power that when the clean singing kicked in, the songs just lost something for me. I loved everything else about the album, though, the instrumentals and the thematic and lyrical content. If they would have stuck with the death growls, I would have, I would definitely revisit it. Yeah. Uh, like I say, it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's, uh, you can't please everyone all the time. <laughs> yep. I'm just, uh, checking through, uh, Brian said, I've been listening to this orbit culture album nonstop since the episode dropped this time of year. I'm always looking for something propulsive to listen to while grading final exams. And this really fits the bill. I need to go back and re-listen to the episode now that I've done my homework properly. I especially love the more brutal elements, but those quiet moments really help you catch your breath. Thanks for introducing me to new music. Hey, yeah, we live to serve. Um, yeah, I mean, propulsive is absolutely, you know, accurate way to describe that album. Yeah. And I just, I just want to say that I freaking love how thoughtful and insightful and uh just great the conversations are of the albums that we talk about on this show and just kind of reading through those comments there like just uh it is really it makes me so happy to kind of go through you know when we see whether you like the album you didn't like the album whatever like people people really uh digging in and mm-hmm. and having some 
some authentic, you know, kind of reactions to what they're hearing, not, not off the cuff, but really just like, I gave it a chance. I listened to it. This is what, it, you know, kind of grabbed me or didn't grab me. It's, uh, it's awesome to see. So again, if you, if you have Facebook and you have not checked out the Facebook group yet, I cannot say enough what an awesome place it is to just have these types of discussions and, and not just about the stuff we cover on the show, but videos that are popping up, new albums that are coming out, bands you probably never heard of, so much great stuff on there. It's really a, a wonderful community we have on Facebook. It really is. And yeah, as I said at the start, you know, including people who have for sure in the past. And I think it, to be fair, it is mostly, you know, the, the guys who the sort of the who nominated uh, Beast Wars in the listener poll, but nevertheless, but yeah, people have definitely posted Beast Wars tracks and live performances, especially on the Facebook group before. Um, so as I say, if you are part of the Facebook group like me, you have probably heard at least one or two tracks before coming to this album. Um, but I will say, and I don't want to get too deep into sort of like reflections on the album yet before we talk about the band, but I, I will say that initially, I thought, you know, having watched a couple of videos of them live or listened to a couple of tracks linked on YouTube, I thought they were kind of, you know, they were fine. Um, wouldn't switch them off, but weren't a band that I was thinking, oh, I need to get into this band. Um, uh, and having now done the homework and, you know, sort of listened to the album, what have you, my opinion on that has changed, actually. It's helped me really get into them. So, uh, yeah, you know, you never know what you might find on that group. And I will agree with that sentiment that you just put out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to digging into that. All right. Well, let's talk about the band then. So yeah, Beast Wars are from New Zealand. Uh, they formed They formed in 2006, uh, officially. Um, but I kind of, I, I get the strong impression, they all have day jobs, and I kind of get the strong impression that they also have all been in bands, uh, you know, in and out of their lives. Uh, but this was the first one that, took off you know this was the one that actually sort of gave them some measure of success um and as a result they're not spring chickens you know they are not young men right uh you know especially i remember the first time i watched a video of them that i think andrew posted a video of them playing live and i just assumed that they'd been around since the 90s or something because yeah. they're basically our age Yep. And so I thought, oh, well, this is a band that must have been around since the 90s. You know, they're still going strong in New Zealand. Good for them. <laughs> and then, of course, it turns out that's not the case at all. They only formed like less than 15 years ago. Yeah, that's it, it is wild. And that was one of the first things I noticed, too, is like, huh, I'm, uh, they're kind of a reflection of us, which is yeah. <laughs> which is always, always a surprise, right? Because you just assume that if we're not talking about a band that we have followed or or known the extensive history of that that like well, maybe they're new on the scene mm. um well i just put it down to them being in new zealand and thinking like oh okay well maybe that's just why we've never heard of them you know if they were you know much like how you get bands that are big in certain states in the u.s but never sure. break out nationally uh, well and but but what i read in a lot of the articles about this band is that in new zealand they are like the band oh like, yeah in, in uh, new zealand the they are huge said, yeah. Beast Wars is perhaps New Zealand's best loved metal band. Yeah. They have been every, they've recorded four albums to date and every single one of them has been nominated for best rock album of the year in New Zealand. Yeah. You know, that's pretty, I mean, okay, it's only four albums, quote unquote, but still every single album they've produced, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, it is. So yeah, they formed in 2006 after, there's, let's go through the lineup. So you've got, you've got Matt Hyde on vocals, Clayton Anderson on guitar. 
James Woods on bass and Nathan Nato Hickey on drums. And that's been the lineup throughout the whole band. Um, they, according to the band's own account, they allegedly formed basically after the three instrumental guys formed an instrumental sort of like, you know, a sludgy rock band. And then Hyde, who was a friend, I think, of the drummers of NATO's, watched them a few times. And then after one gig, was completely drunk, came backstage and shouted at them that they need a fucking singer and he was going to be their fucking singer. <laughs> and that was how he became the fucking singer. <laughs> I don't know if that's entirely true, but it's a certainly, and it's a nice story. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so yeah, they started playing gigs around New Zealand. They got quite popular. I saw one interview where the bassist James Woods said that it was when he realized that he didn't recognize everybody in the audience that he knew, oh, uh, we're going somewhere. Like, we know yep. we are getting popular. Um, and they recorded their first album, the one we're talking about, in 2010 for release in 2011, after people at shows kept asking them, do you have an album we can buy? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's got to be a good feeling, hasn't it? Going into recording your first album, knowing that people are going to buy it because they've been asking you for it. For sure. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and you might have this in your notes as well, but that's obviously once the first album came out and made a big splash, especially in New Zealand, there were a lot of other acts that got to hear them and started to, uh, you know, spread the word. And so they, you know, they ended up playing at the big day out in 2012, which is a huge, uh, music festival. And they were actually on the bill with Soundgarden. Yeah, and, I mean, and they sound they have been compared to Soundgarden, yeah, which I totally style. hear. As yeah, we'll talk yeah. about when we get into the songs for sure. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, one comment from um, Clayton Anderson, the guitarist, praising Kim Thale and saying, like, you know, that he was a bit of a hero of his. So you can and you can hear that absolutely yep. in the music. Um, they self-financed their well, at least their first two albums. I saw, and maybe all of them actually. I don't know, but certainly the first two, they definitely self-financed. Uh, and then put them out through a distributor, which I thought was interesting. I mean, you know, maybe they had no choice because they, you know, weren't signed to a label. But still, it also, and one of the things they mentioned when talking about that was that it allowed them to keep complete control. Uh, and given how normally sort of non-commercially successful, shall we say, you know, Sludge and Stoner bands are, there's not many that really break out and have huge commercial success. Yep. Uh, it's interesting to sort of to you know to then as a result prioritize like say okay well therefore it's important to us actually that we just make the album we want to make rather than uh try and sort of like you know get signed by a label but then they have more of a say over what we're doing uh oh right so yeah and as i say obviously none of them are, are young men and everything and that's kind of <laughs> so i mean it's refreshing in a way because like they were all over 30, I believe, when they formed, which is really yep. unusual for a rock band that isn't, you know, a super group or something. Um, but it is kind of refreshing because when you listen to them, and I watched a fair few interviews, but there's not actually that much out there because they've never really broken out outside of New Zealand. But when you uh, listen to them, they are really down to earth blokes. Um, you know, they clearly take the music seriously and the power of the music seriously and matt hyde the front man in particular is he keeps getting referred to as a shaman um yeah i saw that too and you can kind of see that in the live performances they clearly are you know they do 
like I say, they, they take the music very seriously, but they are also just very down to earth and really pragmatic about life. Um, and that leads to their sort of more recent history, which is that they split up after their third album, yep. uh, which they said, you know, several was by design. Well, I'm well, not, I, I shouldn't. Yeah, not not necessarily by design, but the the idea being that at some point it was sort of decided that the they were going to create a trilogy of albums, right? And I, by the time they got done with that trilogy of albums, they were kind of ready to be done. Yeah, with I, stuff. I'm not sure if that was kind of retrospectively decided if you know uh-huh. what i mean you know yeah sure um yeah i do wonder if if that was a kind of well we've done three albums why don't we just tell everybody it was a trilogy <laughs> um because i did also see a few interviews post breakup interviews where they all said look we just we you know being in a band is hard we spent yep. all of our time together uh we've all got families and day jobs and it was just you know we were just tired uh and arguing all the time and it wasn't fun anymore and you can you know, you can totally understand that. But then uh, Hyde, the front man, was diagnosed with cancer, non-Hodgkin lymphoma uh, specifically. And in a sort of weird, ironic way, it brought them back together uh, and made them realise how much they actually valued being together in a band. And as soon as he'd finished his chemo, they booked 10 days in uh a recording studio and went in and recorded their most recent album, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Which uh, from everything I've read about it, and I haven't listened to that album yet, um, was, was Matt Hyde in a lot of ways, like kind of putting an end note on his whole experience, you know, yeah. with, uh, with lymphoma. So that, I mean, I'm excited to dig into that now after kind of reading through a little bit more of that, but yeah, it, it just interesting that, you know, him getting sick kind of brought everybody back together and said, you know what, maybe we took this for granted a little bit. Let's, let's kind of get back together and make some more, we've got more music left in us, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, oh, one of the things we should mention actually is the artwork. Uh, the same guy has done the art for all their album covers and it is pretty great. Actually, they are all really, really good covers. Yep. And it's a guy called Nick Keller who apparently works at Weta Workshop. Uh, no? in New okay. Zealand. That makes sense. Yeah. And, but he's a fan as well. I mean, you know, he's not doing it just because he's a fan, but he was, I think, and I may have this wrong, but I think the, uh, he, the drummer's sister was dating him. Uh, and so he came to some of their gigs and they just, you know, sort of became friendly and, uh, got talking about it. And yeah, he wound up doing their packaging and he fun, even though they've never won, <laughs> So they've been nominated, like I say, for Best Rock Album at the New Zealand Music Awards, every album, but never won. But what they have won is Best Packaging for the first album. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the band haven't won one, but he did. <laughs> but it is it's really, just good really to great. hear any time uh, that, that it's reaffirmed that album covers still matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, In absolutely. this day and age, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, so, so that's, I mean... Like I say, there's not a lot out there. And to be honest, I think because of the fact that they're all, you know, mature guys with day jobs, I'm not sure if there is that much more to know about them um, because they haven't had, you know, sort of like the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And they also haven't been around for 30 years. And they are, like I say, just it seems like fairly ordinary blokes, which is quite nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't have too much to add from the from the notes that you uh had there there was a an interview 
with uh, Vice in 2016, where they were kind of talking about that that sort of trilogy idea. Um, and they were asked, like, the death of all things is the final album in a post-apocalyptic trilogy. You began with your debut. Was it always the plan to tell an epic tale over the course of three albums? And they, and I think it was Matt whose interview uh, said, I remember just after our debut record had come out, we had played a show with Helmet in Auckland, and there was a lightning storm on our way to the venue. Great evening, great crowd. Things couldn't be better. I believe the next day we were all talking about how music can transcend you. How do you make that into music? Birth, life, death. Uh, you know, and NATO said we must make three albums. And that seemed like such an easy answer at the time, but the task would test us all some more <laughs> than others. And so, uh, yeah, whether that, that is sort of revisionist history of, uh, you know, that journey or not is, is kind of open to interpretation, but, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows, but r- regardless, it, it doesn't really matter that it, it is clearly that was what they did, uh, you know, whether they decided after the fact or not. And, yeah, it's uh, you know it's a nice way of approaching it, I suppose. Um, yeah, and then diff- different. Um, I'm sure there's been articles about like their influences. I've seen Black Sabbath. I've seen High yeah. on Fire be listed as influences of theirs that they've talked about. Yeah, um, Caius and Cathedral. Um, yes, yep. Actually, listening to this and sort of like preparing notes for this show made me think that we should do a Caius or a Cathedral album or something like that on the show. You know, one of the sort of more progenitor uh, of this kind of this kind of trad sludge stoner style bands. Um, and there are bits of neurosis influence in there too, from time to time, like sort of a few throughout the album. And then there's one track in particular that really like could be on a neurosis album, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So the, yeah, definitely a varied. I mean, I saw interviews where they said they all have varied tastes. Like they all listen to lots of different music. Uh, you know, like the drummer is particularly into jazz, that sort of thing, you know, Um but it's to, as far as the rock and metal influences go on what they produce, I think it's fairly it's fairly clear and straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. I think they supported Kaios as well, actually, on uh, when they came to New Zealand, which I seem to recall reading an interview where they said that was you know a bit of a high point. Yep, which makes sense. Um, so, all right, so let's let's address the elephant in the room, <laughs> and that is Matt Hyde's vocals. <laughs> which yeah. are really really unusual and this this is going to be one of my comparisons that people might go huh? uh, but I, i'll stand by it it reminds me of michael stipe rem wow because when i'm not going to disagree with that when rem started uh and not so much in later if only if all you've heard is like you know kind of uh losing my religion era rem obviously you won't get it but when they started when rem were you know originally just sort of like southern college rock band michael stipe was almost unintelligible on their early albums like even if you had a lyric sheet, you'd be listening going, I'm not quite sure I was making those sounds to go with those words. A bit like actually happened with, um, ah, what were they called? The Gate Creeper. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Gate Creeper, yes. Same kind of thing. You know, even Gate if you Creeper, knew- I had to look up the lyrics and I also had to look up the lyrics to this. Uh, right. But even if you know what he, even if you know what the guy from Gate Creeper is singing, you can still, you can still listen and go, I'm not sure I was making those sounds to go with these words. Oh, totally. Um, there were times where I looked at the lyrics and I was like, I'm not sure they have that right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like I say, early REM was like that as well. And, and it was a selling point. Uh, that kind of that unintelligibility, that enigma and mystery was actually a selling point for REM. Um, and yeah, so it actually kind of brought that to mind. The other reason that it came to mind was because 
again, one of the things that REM did a lot of in their early days was repetition. Like there would yep. just be a few lyrics and they would repeat those lyrics for emphasis. And that seems to be only on this album from what I've seen of their other work. That seems to be, you know, something that they've moved away from on later albums. But on this album, that happens a lot. There's literally only one track that has what we might think of as kind of regular lyrics. And the rest of them are just a few lines repeated over and over. And both of those things are barriers to entry for me, right? When when there's not a lot to dig into in terms of lyrical content and when the vocals are kind of tough, because I'll, I'll just say at the top, like sludge, not my, not really my thing, not, not something that I, that I would gravitate towards. Um, you mentioned REM. I will, I will throw out Radiohead as a, oh, yeah. as yeah, yeah. something that I definitely have in Tom York, you know, just in terms of that almost like dreamy delivery at times um, that I, that I kind of felt through a bunch of these songs here. And so this was a classic example for me of like, and it sounds like for you too, of, of uh, multiple listens to find my way in to this album. And, um, but c- having gone through that, actually coming out feeling like I want to dig into this band more. Mm. Um, but definitely the, you know, the, the lack of, uh, and even the lyrics that are there for some of the songs, there's really nothing there. And so, uh, the lack of something to hold on to from a lyrical standpoint, the delivery is not, um, it, it was tough for me to kind of, to kind of break through that, but so when when those ingredients are kind of missing for me, that I have to find another way in. And I think I found my way into this album with some of the uh, emotional connection right. of some of the songs in this album that gave me a place. And it wasn't until, and we'll talk about this as we go through, but it wasn't until I was well into the album before I found a place to hold on. And that oh, okay. helped me in subsequent listens appreciate the songs that didn't grab me initially more but i had to like because in an album like this where i it like first listen it's not feels like i'm on the outside of it like i'm always looking for like what's the where does the door open here for me like where do i get into this um album because this is you know at first run through it would have been an album that i was like eh not my thing and um but but i found a way into it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, similar for me, I think maybe I was a bit more predisposed than you to like it because I, I, you know, I do like a fair few sort of doomy and sludgy bands. Um, but it was still tricky because you're right on first listen, a bit like an ACDC album in a way, uh, you know, on first listen, there's not a lot there. Um, but then repeated listens kind of, you know, help you realize, oh, actually, no, there's, there's more going on here than appears at first. But I will say that the thing that really initially helped me was looking up the lyrics, even though, as you say, a lot of the lyrics, there's not a lot there either. Uh, although there is, again, as you said, some emotional truth in yep, uh, quite sure. a few of them. Um, but just, I think just knowing what he was singing <laughs> yes, really yeah. helped. Uh, and it doesn't always, like I say, I mean, some of those early REM albums literally don't have lyric sheets. And like to this day, nobody really knows exactly what he was singing. And that's fine. Um, but for this band, for some reason, it really made a difference to me to be able to listen 
because I listened a few times before looking up the lyrics. It's normally how I do it. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, oh, okay, I need to, I literally can't understand what this guy's saying. I need to go <laughs> look at the lyrics and read along as it were, as I'm listening. But the minute I did that, it really started to click more for me. Um, and I can't really explain why it was just a, a strange thing that happened. Um, oh, the only other thing I wanted to say about the sort of the, the sound and style was that I noticed that James Woods plays a lot of bass chords to fill out the sound. So there's your, uh, motorhead reference for this. Uh, uh-huh. episode because <laughs> that's always nice to see and kind of necessary as well when you literally have a, a, a four-piece band with only one guitarist um you know look at how much uh rex brown used to hold down yep. you know used to hold things together uh at pantera when uh dimebag was off doing a solo and stuff you need a bassist who can really hold things together like that so uh yeah kudos to him for that all right, uh, should we get into the album itself then? Let's do it. Okay, so it was recorded, like I say, it was recorded in 2010, released in 2011. It has nine songs and it is 40 minutes long, So, which is actually kind of short for a stoner sludge album. Um, you know, some of them are quite long um, because they tend to plod a bit. But this one, even though there's only a few tracks on it that are really kind of up-tempo, it, one thing it doesn't feel like is a trudge. It doesn't feel like it kind of outstays its welcome or, you know, or that anything goes on too long. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think there was any one song that I would pick out and be like, oh, this song should have been two minutes shorter or something like that. I, I felt like I felt like they were all reasonably length songs and, and not having the comparison of listening to a lot of sludge. Like I didn't I didn't see that as a contrast, but I was just like, yeah, yeah, they're all. A little, little more than five minutes. A lot of them around four minutes. Some of them only less than three minutes. And so they're they're kind of all in the wheelhouse for me. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very lo-fi kind of sound as well, which yes. again is fairly common across the genre. But even so, this one, even compared to their later albums, uh, to me sounds. And I'm, I'm sure they didn't, but it really does sound like they recorded the whole thing live, like you know, in the recording well, studio, <laughs> like the first Sabbath album or something. Yeah, and my first impression of them was like, this is a band that I would probably appreciate more live than I do on an album. Yeah, because I think there's like you can you can feel how big that sound is, but it just made me think of like, yeah, if I had seen these guys live first, I probably would have came to this album with a lot more affinity because that energy you can just you can imagine how present it is in their live shows. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like I say, if you go and watch, there are YouTube videos of them playing live all over, uh, all over the place. And you'll see that it is very much one of those bands where the musicians just kind of stay in their lane and do their thing. And the front man is the one who is holding the whole show together. Yeah. Uh, and he really is, you know, he's, he's sort of, he doesn't, it's not that he engages much with the crowd, just more that he just has a stage presence. You know, he is very, very watchable on stage the kind of guy who when he when you're watching the band he is what you're watching um and that's by design singers even singers that don't like have a lot of banter and stuff with the crowd like especially if their if their energy is sort of like leaning into the crowd like leaning into the mic like attacking the mic and bringing and kind of throwing that energy out to the crowd like even singers who don't really have a lot to say to the crowd during the show can you can feel it like you just have that connection. Yeah, absolutely. And he does, he's definitely one of those kind of frontmen. 
All right, so let's get into the uh, album itself then. Uh, as always, start with track one, and that is Damn the Sky. Probably the track I've listened to the most on this album because it, it was the it was the one where I kept trying to get in the front door. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and it, I mean, I think it's a good opening track in that it definitely gives you a lot of what you're going to get on the rest of the album. And I think that's why I kept listening to that first track over and over again. Was you know mm-hmm. uh, revisiting it was trying to get in that that sort of front door there. I mean, it's to me it has a very rock and roll vibe to it um it's got that big sort of epic chorus it it gets a little kind of jam bandy at the end of it um but it also hits you with that vocal style and just kind of the the sound that you're going to get from it and you know it, it didn't it didn't grab me immediately. Like as, as a first song, I didn't listen to this first song and be like, yes, I cannot wait to dig into the rest of this album. I was kind of like, huh? Okay. I see what they're doing here. Um, you're like, so this is where we're going, is it? This is where we're going. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know if I, if I'm digging this so far. And so, um, what was it's your, also, I li- no, go ahead. What was your first reaction to that introduction? I liked, I guess it felt more traditional than I thought it was going to do because it's kind of got this boom, 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 like it, 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 and then it kicks in with the dun, 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 it just felt a little more, um, I don't know, like traditional rock to me than I thought I was going to get. Right. Because I guess I, I guess I thought. I don't know what I thought going into it. Maybe that it would be doomier or that it would be. Um, I don't know, but it, it, it like didn't, it wasn't what I expected right. from jumping into this first tune and off of the first few notes that I heard, I didn't then expect it to kick into that sort of gallop of dun, 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 like it, 
it just didn't go where I thought it was going to go, I guess yeah. is what, so, so I was kind of like, I was on my heels a little bit. And then when the vocals come in, I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, I'm still trying to find, you know, my feet on this. So it just wasn't what I expected. I asked about the intro because the first time I heard that intro, like if I'd heard that on vinyl, I would have been checking my record player. Uh, <laughs> those, that first dun, 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 you know, bit. Like some of those are, some of those notes are so low that they sound out of tune. And the first time I heard it, I was like, what is happening here? Are they, is this deliberately what, like bad or what's going on? <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's definitely songs where they're a little bit out of time or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or they're, or they're, or a note is a little bit off. Like there's a raw, which I just assumed was like them you know them obviously knowing that and just wanting to keep that as part of their sort of like you said played live in the studio sound like those those imperfections yeah. of like yeah you could go back through that and make sure that's perfectly timed and and every note is perfect and stuff like that but there were definitely times on the album where i was like huh that came a little bit faster than it should have came right there okay or that was a little bit late or whatever and and it wasn't it didn't feel like a no in this verse we're going to be you know a half step off or something it was like no, that was just, they played that too quick. Yeah. Yeah, because as you say, you could go back and redo it and redub it totally. and quantize it and stuff, but then you do lose some of that energy and that spontaneity. Uh, so yeah, I, I really like the fact that they didn't do that on those yeah, me too. occasions. Um, I mean, like I say, you know, one, repeated listens, I realized like, oh no, okay, I see what they're doing with this intro. But the first time I heard it, it really just threw me for a complete loop. Um but as you say, it resolves into, you know, a nice solid galloping riff, not original, but, you know, fairly well used. And I like the how it sort of opens up on the way to the chorus with Hyde's vocals rising to match. You know, that's a good synthesis of uh, vocals and music. Um, yeah. I love that <laughs> that little eight note quasi solo that you get after the halftime section. Like there are almost no solos on this album. Um, that's true. Definitely not like traditional solos for sure. Well, not what we'd think of as solos, right, right. exactly. But uh, there is a nice bit of guitar feedback before the coder as well. And that and the little sort of lack of traditional solos and stuff, again, after repeated listens, I noticed how much uh, Anderson uses the guitar as a noise instrument. Like yeah. he is, he clearly can play a good solid riff, obviously, and he does that a lot, but he also uses it a lot for just noise and atmosphere and feedback and stuff. And I really like that because, you know, Sludge and Stoner is not the place for your blazing, you know, million miles an hour guitar solos. Uh, you won't right. hear that on many albums like this. So it's nice to find, but you'll also hear plenty of albums in that genre where the guitar doesn't do anything like this. It just right. plays the riffs. So it's nice to hear somebody who still wants to do interesting things with the guitar but obviously you're not going to be doing your Ingvai Malmsteen solos. <laughs> but, and and that's where I feel like the traditional rock influence is there, you know, where yeah. it's like there are elements that they bring. It's not in every song. It's not in the most consistent ways that you might expect it, but it is there. And I think there's uh, there's good and there's bad with that, right? Like there's, there, you know, I would imagine for people who, who would like, I don't quote unquote traditional sludge, maybe not as welcome some of those elements for me, like those are very familiar elements to me. So, yeah. so it was, uh, it's kind of the where and the, how they use them. Um, there were songs that, uh, it worked really well on, I thought. Yeah. I, th I think this is, it, it's not the best track on the album. It's, it's a good track. Is it the best opener? Maybe. 
because even though it's not the best track on the album, it is, like you said, it is very representative of the kind of band they are and the sort of thing you're going to get on the album, even if it may not be the best example of those things. So, yeah, it's always tricky, as we say, with an opening track. What are you going to do? How are you going to bring people in? Um, But I think this is probably as good an opener as you could get out of the tracks on this album. You know, there are tracks that I prefer listening to, but would they be good openers? hard to say so which i think like it, it that is always a dilemma too right like i i am a believer that you don't want your best track as your first track you want a track that is representative and you right. want a track that is that will bring people in and not keep them out but you don't want to waste your best track on you the don't first. want to peak literally right at the start because yeah. then everything else and there are <laughs> uh, uh we could probably do an episode on albums that peaked on their first track right yeah oh and, yeah, yeah um and then everything else after that just failed to live up to it. So in that way, uh, I think it's representative of what you're going to get on this album. Definitely not the best track on this album. So I guess a good opening track then. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to track two, Lake of Fire. Yeah, I mean, this one, we get a little bit more of a vocal range. Uh, so I think, you you know, it's not. Um, and a little bit, I almost feel like Matt Hyde feels a little bit Billy Idol on this song. Billy Idol. Wow. Like when he's when he's saying Lake of Fire, like uh, I almost he almost the, the way he kind of rises into that to me felt like a little Billy Idol snarl. Um and again, that's my uh, to go back to our neuroscience discussion of the past episode. That's my schema <laughs> for um, you know that for what references I pull from when other people are like, "What the hell are you talking about?" But uh, but yeah, I had a little bit of a Billy Idol snarl like uh, vibe on on some of his deliveries of the, the words "Lake of Fire" as he kind of rose into them. Um, so I I like this song better than the first song. I feel that's... like it's a little. It gives me a little bit more. I would never have made that comparison, but now that you've said it, I'm kind of thinking, okay, I can see where you're getting that. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with it entirely, but I can see, <laughs> I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's Do funny. Do you want because... to know why Billy Idol was on my mind? Because I just listened to the new Miley Cyrus album, and Billy Idol has a guest spot oh, on the Miley it? Cyrus album. <laughs> 
Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, not that anybody listening to this show would, would uh, but but she just put out an album that is uh, 80s rock influenced. And my daughter listened to it and said, Dad, you have to listen to this. I know you like this kind of music. And so I found myself listening to the new Miley Cyrus album. And lo and behold, Billy Idol is on it. Excellent. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a much more up-tempo, or not much more, a slightly more up-tempo track. None of the uh, tracks on this album are very up-tempo, let's face it. But this is more up-tempo than the first track. But ironically, kind of less upbeat. Like, it feels like more of a downer track, even though <laughs> it is a bit faster. It feels um, almost like a creepy, like there's there's something about that main Oh, it builds riff. and creeps along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very traditional riff, actually, for a sort of sludge stoner band. That's the first thing that got me about it. When I was like, this is a really, you know, this is an absolutely standard traditional riff for this genre. Well, um, and the singing is a little bit cleaner in more spots here. And I think maybe yeah. just because it is more traditional is where this second song brought me in a little bit more than the first song, just yeah. for my personal taste, you know. But one of the, the it's funny, the Billy Idol thing, because that, same part like when the guitars open up and the cymbals start crashing and he's screaming lake of fire that actually made me think of neurosis <laughs> Not oh okay guy, which is kind yeah, of I mean, neurosis it. billy idol i mean two sides of the same coin <laughs> oh. um but it's it's an interesting song this because it is musically it is basically the same section repeated like four times yep and then we get the middle eight where everything except the guitar drops out for a minute. That's nice. And then it, it you know, builds back up and what have you. But then it goes back into the same riff. We basically have a song that it consists of one riff played different ways and with Hyde's vocals doing different things over it. And that's how it kind of, you know, sort of carries the song along. So uh -huh. it, it's, yeah, I mean, I like it. It's, it's a good track, but it is interesting that it is so simple. It is such a sort of basic arrangement uh, and yet, yeah, carries it through just by doing the same thing in different ways. Um, you know, I always think it's it's impressive when you get a song that you may not realise is that at first. You know, it's only when I sort of like went back and listened to it for the God knows whatever umpteenth time and thought, hang on a minute, you know, let's try and break this down a bit that I realised that that's the case. I think it's always impressive when you can write a song that is that simple, but sounds that good because of the, you know, the little variations that you put in it. Yep. They have, a, apparently this band's mantra is obey the riff. And I think this song is absolutely, uh, yeah. you know, demonstrative of I that. I think it lives up to the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, track three then is, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce this, but I'm going to say Mihi. Oh 
for me, this this song is where I first got the really strong Soundgarden vibe. Was oh yeah yeah was this song? I was like oh okay, and um, but the kind of sleepy mumbling stuff like uh, it, it. I'm still at this point in the album. I'm still not in yet. I'm you know as I'm going through my listens of this album, like I still haven't found the song that gets me through really into this album yet. And this song didn't do it either. Although the Soundgarden vibe, especially on subsequent listens really started to, I started to warm to the song a little bit more. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, this is, I had kind of the opposite uh, reaction in the, the first two tracks were at least I thought more interesting. And then this track kind of started to lose me a little bit. Uh, uh-huh. it's again it's a very traditional riff in this genre uh and i just i didn't just didn't find it that interesting until a minute in you get the first example of that big deep string bend that holds just for a microsecond you know as if it's like suspended in the air and then it lands yeah. and drops back down with a bang um and obviously that, that happens a lot throughout this song that's basically the chorus that i like uh you know that kind of that works for me and i think they pull it off well and they execute it well but you know the rest of the song is fine um you got that coda at the end where the guitar is doing that repeated riff where only the final note changes descending yep. down i like that that's an old trick but it works you know um but yeah it's very much this feels like half a song to me, which is ironic given I just said that the previous song is literally one riff, <laughs> you know, played well, over and over again. This song, this song is less than four minutes long, yeah, right? So, yeah. so that could lend to the sort of incomplete um, feel to the Not that the other songs were like so much longer, but the first, you start off with a five minute and 20 second song, 410, 409 for the second, and then 342 for this one here. So comparatively, um, it is a shorter song than those yeah, first true. two. But yeah, it just, I don't know, it feels like this is one of those songs where you think like, could have done with another go round, you know, with a bit more work on it. Um, a little more meat on the bone, if you will. Yeah, you know, and not bad, but just not all that interesting to me. Um, uh, oh, and, and unfortunately, likewise, really, for me, with track four, which is Daggers. I would agree because I feel like three, four are the two Soundgarden songs that I really felt that vibe. Um, not that that is a negative in that, but I think there there's a similarity uh, between three and four uh, in here. If that if that's the dip, um, 
you know, in this album, then it's uh, to me, these songs feel like back to back, like Soundgarden vibe. This one feels a little bit more aggressive there. You've got the sort of wah effect on the guitars and parts of this and the kind of the screaming guitar effect on part of this. Um, but the song overall doesn't really, I'm still, now we're four songs in and I still haven't found where, where I really get a foothold on this album so far, especially during those first couple listens. Um, so yeah, yeah it, didn't, it didn't jump off the, it doesn't jump off the record to me as like the song that pulls me in. It really isn't. Yeah. This is, I think this is the weakest track on the album for me. And it, it is really unfortunate that tracks three and four are, as you say, like the dip, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it happens so early on in the album. I mean, it's fine, you know, I'm not going to switch it off, but this and the track previous are definitely the low point for me. It's like, <laughs> this is the track that got less interesting to me when I read the lyrics rather than more uh-huh. interesting because musically it's fine. You know, again, there's a bit of like guitar noise work, which is kind of nice, but lyrically it's weak. It's very weak. Um, I, I like I assume it's a metaphor, but I don't know what for because there is no allusion to anything other than the obvious in the lyrics. I hope it's a metaphor because if it's not, it's a bit rich for a band to complain about fans demanding they play their hits on the very first album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's just like what? Um so yeah, I don't know what's going on there. It's as I say, it's fine, you know, I'm not going to skip it necessarily, but I'm not paying it any attention either. It's not uh, yeah, I, I would have dropped it. I mean, the album would be too short without it, I suppose, but this uh-huh. is a track that I just would have dropped or at least would have completely rewritten and rearranged all the lyrics and vocals. Yeah. Um, but moving on, track five is Call Out the Dead. So now that we've made it through the first four tracks, what I will say is to me and in my head, even though this probably would have been the last track on side one, I'm assuming um, if we, if this was, if we're talking about a record here, but I kind of think of the first four songs as the first half of this album. And for me, this song is the turning point to getting me into this album Mm -hmm. at the first four songs really didn't pull me in. Um, not that they're all the same or anything like that, but the first four songs didn't do it for me. Song five, still, I'm still not in yet, but there's something that happens with this song that I feel like the album takes a turn for the darker. And it's almost kind of a little bit proggy to start with here. Um, 
lyrically, I think there's a little bit more to hold on to here. I mean, I interpreted these lyrics to be sort of like the, you know, at the end in Judgment Day, you know, he's talking about sort of what, what, um, you know, what he adhered to during his time, you know, over the course of his life and, and sort of how, how will he be judged sort of thing is kind of what I took for, uh, for some of the lyrics in this one. But I feel like this song is, is kind of a turning point where we're, we're breaking out of the mold of the first four songs here as we head into the rest of this album. And so for me, I, I have an affinity to this song because it kind of starts the turn for me. I'd agree completely. I mean, like I said, I think I like the first two tracks more than you, but it feels like this is where they start to become their own band. Yes, rather it's than, like, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, As rather we get than to like sounding on file, like, like okay, <laughs> okay now. Now I'm pulling up my chair a little bit uh, to the table. Like, uh, okay, let me, let me, uh, and I think as we'll talk about in subsequent songs, like my attention gets rewarded as we move forward. But this is the song where I like moved my chair a little bit closer and said, okay, tell me more. Right. Well, and they it's where they stop sounding like other bands as well. Yeah, that's, the other thing that's that, a great point yeah. because I don't have that, like, I didn't make the Soundgarden note, you know, again, I think through this. I'm sure the, the influence is still there, but it wasn't like that wasn't my major note on a song. It right. was more about the songs moving forward. Yeah. I mean, there are, again, there are elements of neurosis that I can hear in this, uh, you know, but it's not... Yeah, it, it, it just it feels like this is where they start to go. Okay, this is who we are. This is yep. the, you know this is the music that Beast Wars makes rather than the music by other bands that Beast Wars members like to play. Um, and and that sounds disparaging, and I don't mean it you know in a in a nasty way. But I'm sure you know where I'm coming from. Um, I do like the wall of sound in the chorus in this. Uh, yes. with that lovely simple three note guitar melody over it. It feels, I actually put in my notes that this feels, this track feels like a band in command of what they're doing. Like it's the first track on the album where you feel like, oh, okay, th- this band is really working together now. They know yep. what they're doing. They're all, you know, at the top, uh, you know, great synthesis of music, vocals, lyrics, everybody is locked in, you know? Um Yeah, it's a uh, you know, big epic sound, really, really good. And then... Uh, three minutes 15 you get the the final remember only rock and roll coda um yeah where it's kind of it feels like it's slowing down and sinking to the depths and honestly i think this would have made a decent final track on the album actually it's interesting i I don't disagree with that it's got that kind of epic closer feeling for me i think it would have really worked yeah quite i think if you swapped this with the final track on yeah. the album, yeah. it would have made two very distinct sides of this album. Oh, because I would yeah, argue yeah. that the last song on this album is the only one on the second half of this album that captures anywhere near the vibe of the first four songs on this album. Right, um, I can see that. It, good, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I actually feel like, and we talk about it when we get there, <clears throat> that um, that it's an okay um, closer as it is. But this one, you're right. There is a... But it is, it's the darker turn of the, yeah. the more, the uh, maybe darker is the wrong word, the deeper turn of yeah. the second well, half of this album that I it, really like. Interesting what you said about the lyrics as well, because uh, one of the things I read, uh, reading about the band was that Matt Hyde was raised Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh, and like, because the, the rest of the band are all kind of like fairly just sort of, you know, agnostic, stroke atheist, secular 
but Matt Hyde is the one who was, regardless of you know what he is now, he was raised quite deeply Catholic. Um, and yes, so I got the same thing from these lyrics that you did, that this is very much him reflecting on his path in life and how he'll be yep. judged at the end of it and all that sort of thing, which does obviously make for much deeper lyrics, yeah. Well, and when you think about, like, Obey the Riff, right? I mean, that kind of falls in line with this last thing of, like, at the end of the day, rock yeah. and roll is the religion. And <laughs> yeah. so it's, you know, it's that thing of, like, you know, I tried this and I tried this and I've done some good and I've done some bad, but here I am and this is what this is what my legacy is. Yeah. The new religion, the electric church, as Lemmy said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, move on to track six, Red God. Okay, now I don't know what you thought of the song, but this is the song that gets me through the door. Okay, this is this is the song that gets me through the door. First of all, from because there's nothing in this song that takes me out of how great that riff is. Like this song hooks me on that opening riff, and no, no choice that they make for the rest of the song, and it's only two minutes and fifty seconds long. But there's nothing else that happens in the song that takes me out of the vibe that is first created when this song starts. And so it just, and I think it's because of the song before it, that kind of, that turn that the album made where I was like, I'm feeling the potential. And then it's like, boom, and this song sort of locks me in. And I think it's, I would say it's the simplest song of the rest of the second half of this album, but it kind of it kind of, you know the like i pulled my chair closer with the last one and now i'm really paying attention it it's almost like a i don't want to say it's a palate cleanser but it really locks me in to be ready to experience the rest of the back half of this album well and it, so it's yeah, a very, I, really, I just ener- love that it's a very energetic song that sits in yes. the middle of two less energetic songs which i think makes it stand out as mm-hmm. well um so what do you think that i think of this track <laughs> um that it doesn't fit the sort of sludge, uh, you know, it just, it, that it's sort of the odd man out on this album in terms of the, the, the feel of it, the, the style of it, that it doesn't, it doesn't fit with everything else here. Oh, and, okay. um, it's the closest thing to like a radio rock single that they have on this album. Probably if I was going to pick one that, 
you know, could get some regular airplay. Now, uh, lyrically, there's not a lot here uh, to dig into. It's a lot of repeating the same thing over and over again. But it's it is if if the rule is obey the riff, the riff on this one is probably my favorite riff on the album. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, this is actually I wouldn't say it's my favorite track on the album, but it is. Ooh, up there. I like it. Yeah, no, it is. I love this track. Um, I mean, you're right that it does stand out a bit like a sore thumb in the middle of this sort of like second half of the album. But I think that's a good thing because otherwise you get into trudgery. You know, it's, uh, it's again, dynamics. It's, you know, it works well, as I say, surrounded by these other slower tracks. Um, The interesting thing about this track is that it was, for me as well, it was the this happens quite often with me on rock tracks, uh, rock albums is there'll be one track where literally on first listen, I go, Oh, that's it. That's the track. And that's the one that I'll play on repeat a few times and, and I'll sort of get into it. But then as I listen to the rest of the album, that track fades because it was immediately catchy. It's less deep. And so it doesn't yep. hold my attention for as long. And I get into other tracks, but it is the way into the album. And this was definitely that track for me. Yeah. Dude, uh, that is, uh, I just want to talk, I, I want to unpack that for a second because I feel like that is, uh, you hit on a few things that are super important. It is exactly that track for me. And when you find that hook, when you find that way into the album, it immediately makes you appreciate every other track on the album more than you did before. Yes. Because now you're in and you're, and you, and you want to, you want to see where the roots go to all the other songs on this album from this, from this point, like it, if we're using the getting through the front door analogy, like where are the, all the other rooms in this house now you want to spend a little bit more time in and, and kind of uh, explore there. But also, you know, you said it, you put this in the middle of the songs that are on the other sides of it. And this goes back to the whole like album flow, you know, album, track in, yeah, yeah. track list dude. And how important that is. And like why you put songs somewhere like, this two minute and 50 second song, if you put it first, it's not representative of everything else that's coming on this album. If you, if you misuse it, it feels like a throwaway track here. It, for me, and it sounds like for you too, it's the lock-in track yeah. of like, okay, now I'm here. Let's, let's finish out the rest of this album. And I'm already thinking in my head now, okay, when I go through the album again, the next time I know I'm in here. So I don't, I'm not searching anymore for where do I get into this album? I'm not, I'm not worried about that anymore. I'm in. So now I can go back and appreciate one, two, three, four, five in a different way because I'm already in. I'm, I know I found my place in. And that for me, as I try to crack, you know, we talk about like breaking a story, right? Or breaking a, but it's like, as I try to crack this album, once I have it, that changes everything. And this, and that's why, but as you mentioned, because this song is so catchy, like if you would have asked me after my first three or four listens, what's your favorite song in the album? It's this one, but it's not now yeah, because exactly. it starts to fade. Like it was the, it, it opens the door, but like once you're inside and you really start digging around, there's something else. Well, and because it's catchy, like that, you know, almost by definition means that it's simpler than the other tracks. And so that's why I think it then sure. starts to fade because you get that you know, overexposure and kind of, you know, you realize, oh, actually there's not that much more to it than the immediate hook, but that hook, yes, is really important. And it's, I think part of it is that when you hear a track like this, that that gets you and grabs you and you go, oh, okay, okay. You know, I'm into this one. It makes you think, 
Oh, okay. So the rest of the album's deliberate. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, not that it would be a mistake, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you go, oh, okay, they can write a track like this. Therefore, right. they must have chosen to write the other tracks in the way they did. And therefore, I should look at them again and see if there's something I've missed about them. Yep. It's all part of the tool set that they're using now. Like, yeah. you, and you and you understand that. And so then it's like, okay, it just it just opens everything up. And it is absolutely full of energy, this track as well. I mean, totally. this is another one that feels like it was recorded like one take live in the rehearsal room or something. It absolutely, I can imagine this being fantastic live uh, because, yeah, short, punchy, probably the fastest tempo <laughs> of any song on the album. Yep, um, totally. Do you know what it puts me in mind of, actually? Some of those Probot songs, you know, the Dave Grohl Yes, Roll dude. Uh, I would say it, the Probot Project there's a lot of stuff on this album that kind of brings me back to that. Cause the probot thing to me had a very raw feel to exactly, it. Exactly. The rawness. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. That, that energy and the rawness and the kind of the unrefined, unpolished nature of it. Uh, and that is one of the things that I find appealing about this album uh, is that it's not slick. It's not, you know, overly produced. Um, it is just, it sounds like a band who went into and I know that they didn't, you know, I've read interviews and seen interviews with the, where they talk about sort of building and writing the songs, but it sounds like the end result is that it sounds like a band who just went into the studio and bashed out on album in a week. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, I, as, as a sound, I really like that. Um, and also in this song, just to go back to what I was talking about with the whole guitar noise thing towards the end in this track you've got the the solo that isn't really a solo it's just kind yep. of like wah noise but then even after that if you listen uh carefully or on headphones or something like when it, after that bit when it goes back to the main riff beneath the main riff there is some squealing guitar noise and feedback just like in the mix kind of weaving itself in and out of the mix filling out that sort of chaotic sound at the end and again you know, lots lots of bands that just wouldn't do that. It doesn't need to be there. It's not adding anything tuneful or melodic or to the riff, but it, what it's doing is filling out the atmosphere and the feeling of the track and especially the climax of the track. And, uh, yeah, as I say, that's really nice. Yep. And you can't do that live. <laughs> that proves no, that it was no. recorded. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as I say, like, immediately, not my favourite track on the album now, but for a while was because definitely the catchiest track on the album. So let's go on to track seven, and that is Iron Wolf.
I mean, now that I'm in the album, I can appreciate this song so much more. I I like a lot about this song. This this song, um, not that it's the first thing that strikes me, but the more I listen to it, had a very Alice in Chains vibe to it. Oh, there's yeah, a, I can see that. Yeah, there's a melancholy to it, and I think it's fitting with that turn that we had with song five of like the darker, deeper turn that theme that feel even in the uptempo you know red god song i feel like is it, it sort of permeates most of the back half of this album and so uh it, it has a very grungy feel to me um there there is a great wall of sound uh moment you know about two and a half minutes in where it just has a i feel like the whole song has a great build to it um I just uh, there's a lot to like, and it's a great contrast to the song that came before it. So it it uh, it, it, sh- it maybe is served better by following uh, Red God, but yeah, I like a lot of what they're doing on this song. So again, I hadn't made the Alice in Chains uh, comparison, but I can see it absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, but what the comparison I did make was that this to me this is the track that you could actually just put on a Neurosis album, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't think it would be out of place at all it really reminds me of some of the stuff from uh eye of every storm which was i think 2008 10 or 2009 or something like that some of there was somewhere around there um even the uh vocal style like with his vocals going between that sort of strangled whisper and then yep. building up to the screams kind of put me in mind of some of the tracks off that album uh and it's got a lot of space musically it's got lots of room to breathe uh, which is as you say a good contrast to you know the old the exuberant energy of red god and yeah and that's where i feel like the radiohead piece comes in there too right like there's just the the dreamy kind of but you hit it room to breathe yeah and that middle eight the as you say comes in i think it's 240 it comes in yeah where you've got that wall of noise yeah and the bent high note on the guitar which kind mm-hmm. of sounds like a wild animal calling, you know, yes, which kind of fits dude. with the with the theme of the lyrics, the the you know, the, the metaphorical theme anyway. Um, yeah, I really really like this track. Again, maybe not quite sure if it's my favorite, but it's absolutely up there. It's interesting how this album seems to get stronger as you go along. To me, one hundred percent, and that's what I really feel to me like is kind of the tale of two halves for me. If if we're counting, you know, uh, track five and on as the second half of this album, like. It just really st- hits its stride, and we're we're in it now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on then to track eight, Cthulhu.
I mean, if you're going to name your song Cthulhu, <laughs> it better be a really good song. It better be good. <laughs> Luckily, it is because it's my favorite song on the album. Um, the way the kind of wind blows this song in, uh, this this song to me is the doomiest song on the album, like in terms of uh, emotion and feel. Uh, the idea of the, you know, the deep dark sea and the way that you have some of the, like the descending baseline and the, and just the, the sort of dreamy guitar. There's a conceptually, I feel like it all comes together on this song. Just the, you know, the last voyage, the, the sort of being left alone, the, the, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, depression and all of that stuff, just like mood, music, lyrics. To me, this is the song where everything coalesces. And it. this is the song that gives me chills when I listen to it. Like it just front to back really nailed this album for me. It's, you know, I was in, I started to get in at track five, track six locked me in, track seven keeps me in, track eight, boom. This is this is the culmination for me. All right. Well, so uh, everybody take a drink because this doesn't happen very often, but it's my favorite track as well. Oh, so good, dude. It's, yeah. Uh, it is. I think it's another contender for final track as well. Like, can, yes. you, can you imagine if this closed out the album? <laughs> like, I mean, if this is the type of song where if it closed out the album, you would sit in silence for five minutes after the album was over exactly. and just think yeah. about it. It is ominous. That rising bass oh, tritone so good, over the drum and like the sort of uh, when the levy breaks style drums as well. It's like a lumbering monster approaching. Um, yeah, love it. This is oh also, yeah. this is the closest we get on this album to like proper lyrics where it's not just the same few lines repeated totally. over and over. And I really think that that's one of the reasons why it stands out so much and he's, has such an impact and he's such a good track. Yeah, I, I mean... Man, I love so many what, great layers. I love what the guitar does here as well. Again, it's the bass and the drums are doing all of the hard work in this yep. track. You listen to it, and you're like they are carrying the entire song through. Again, like you know, when the levy breaks kind of style, it's all about that rhythm, just holding everything together. And then over the top, you've got obviously Matt Hyde's lyrics and his vocals, uh, which are great. But you've also got the guitar doing all these harmonics and feedback and wailing over the top, just doing nothing but atmosphere um, until obviously the, the ending where you've got those sort of the set, the, the clean guitar notes playing out, but the whole well, thing is just, just kind of how they, it's how ominous. they come unraveled at the end. Yeah. A yeah, little yeah. bit. Oh, right. It all so kind good, of yeah. like devolves into, into its component parts. Um, yes. Dude. Like a, like a ship like- breaking up. <laughs> like a ship breaking up like someone basically sinking down to the depths of the ocean yeah. uh you know the the you, the lead guitar i think man you could you could just dive into that for a while because it it almost is like a it's almost like a signal trying to break through the noise you know it's almost like uh it, it, it as you said like the because the song is being held together the guitar can do that and it's just uh yeah to me this is like it's all it's, they're firing on all cylinders right here. Yeah. This is the song that it all comes together. But it is also, you're right, it's the most doomy track on the album by far, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I was a little surprised that it's your favourite track because, you know, obviously that's not normally really your thing, but it is very 
Very doomy, yeah. But I love it. I love it. All right, track closer then. Uh, sorry, album closer, track nine, Empire. This one, stark contrast to the song we got before, and I almost feel like this is the one final catharsis of this album, right? This is the kind of letting it all out as the album sort of closes. Everything that you felt and experienced over the course of this album, it's just like screaming it all out and getting it all out at the end of this album. So it's to me, like I kind of see it as like a cleansing last song of the album. That's yeah. kind of how I interpret it. It's, I mean, yeah, you know, it's got obviously quite a bit more energy than the the previous few tracks, and you know, fair enough. Uh, this is apparently a favourite at live shows. This one, they often end live shows with this track, which you know, I can see that. Fair enough. Um, and it, it's it's okay, it rocks, but yeah, I'm just not, I'm not convinced that it's the best track to be the closer on the album. Uh, I do like the line "sending the dogs of death and disease." That's that's a good line. I like that. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, the empire is burning, burnt out on its blood and greed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's some lines in this in this which I think are some of his best lyrics, and you know the Me kind too. of things where you look at him and you go, "Oh, I wish I'd written that." Um, but the track as a whole, yeah, it's fine. Again, as I say, it's fine. It's certainly not down with the dip of tracks three and four. Um, but yeah, I'm just not so sure if it you know, if it works all that well as a closer. I don't know. Although I did notice that it the, finally, on the very last track of the album, we get something approaching a guitar solo. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I said uh, that guitar solo is one of the most traditional things they do on this whole album. Yeah, that's true. That was the note that I had made uh, <laughs> for myself on here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's probably the only one that we get like in that that you would that call sort of, a, a traditional guitar solo yeah exactly yeah. um but but you're right in the sense that this song is it's tough to follow uh cthulhu after you know what an amazing song that that was now if you would take this song if you took empire and you put it at number five then you have starting with uh number six call out the dead red god you know iron wolf mm -hmm. and cthulhu to end the album then I would say that would make that would push this album into a whole other uh, tier in terms of like you. Then you could really say the back half of this album is damn near a masterpiece. Like you know, like it's it's. it's and, that you, good. You, well, and it would create two very different flavors to the kind of totally. the sides, the metaphorical sides yep. of the album. You'd have the first side would be you know relatively upbeat, 
or up tempo, sorry, I should say, uh, you know, sort of almost traditional rock in tracks. And then the second half is like, you know, that's the, that's the ninth wave or something. Uh, yep. that's your, your almost like a concept side of your doomy apart from red God in the middle, obviously, but you know, your doomy atmospheric, uh, tracks. But as a song, like, you know, as a song that makes you want to flip over and start the album over again, it is consistent with song one, right? So it does have that. It kind of closes the loop in that way of like, okay, I think I'm ready to give this one. Whereas, as we talked about, like, if you ended on Cthulhu, it would be like, I'm going to let this one marinate for a little while. (laughs) Like, I'm going to, I'm going to sit with it for a little while before I just throw it right back in. uh, But see, to me, that's good. Like I like, oh, I like albums I, I, that I close like, like that. that. I want an album to finish and me to just sit there for a couple of minutes, kind of, you know, just thinking about what I've listened to. Yeah. So, yeah. But hey, you know, it's, uh, like I say, not a bad track at all, just not necessarily what I personally would have chosen to end the album, but still pretty good. Um, so, yeah, overall, as we said, it, it definitely took me a few listens to appreciate this. Um, Same. And yeah, finding the lyrics really helped with that just to get past Hyde's weird vocal style. But I, I did get into it and I actually wound up buying their entire discography from Bandcamp. Um, yep. And we should mention that actually, uh, if you go to beastwars.bandcamp.com, their entire discography is available for pay what you want. Um, yep. Now, obviously I would suggest if you can afford it to, don't just download for free. Do pay them some money. I did. We paid them for, we downloaded this album so we could listen to it in preparation for the show. Uh, you know, and we did pay for it, in my view, because, hey, you know, you should pay for your music. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, you can go and get the entire discography there and also a live gig uh, album, which I must admit I haven't listened to yet. Um, no, I haven't listened to that either, but I would like to knowing that the vibe I get from this band is like, you want to see them live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, this, you know, I was surprised how much I wound up getting into this album and the band as a whole is definitely going into my rotation. So yeah, you know, thank you for, I'm glad this came up basically in the, in the nomination. Cause if, if not, we might not have never, we might not have ever covered them. You know, oh, I, I, I 100% agree yeah. with that. I probably never would have chose this band on my own. To me, these albums are almost more fun to discuss in some ways because it it challenges how I think about me. Well, it doesn't challenge. It's like a textbook example of how I think about music, of like finding a way into an album. It puts all of that to the test of yeah. like the multiple listens, the finding your footing, the once you get inside, appreciating the rest of the album. And so... To me, that's the kind of stuff I love to talk about is like, how did I crack this album when it, at first blush, it was not anything that, you know, immediately grabbed me. And then coming out the back end, now that I've kind of lived with it for a while, want to do that with all of their albums, you know, yeah. appreciate all of those albums now. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, we couldn't agree more. All right. So before we get to the homework. Uh, first of all, thank you everybody for taking part in the listener poll. We really appreciate that. And we appreciate our patrons, uh, all the time of Gin General, of course. Uh, you know, so thank you all out there for supporting the show. Um, if you want to, if you are not a patron and you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and uh, make your pledge. As we always say, you know, all we ask is a dollar an episode. Um, you know, we only charge you when we release an episode. It's not like a monthly thing. 
Uh, I mean, it's more or less monthly because that's when we release episodes. But I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not a monthly pledge. Um, and yeah, you know, it just helps us keep the show going. It helps us pay for server costs and domain name costs and all that boring shit that you have to do to, you know, have a website and put out a podcast these days. Um, if you enjoy the show, spread the word, tell your friends, rate us on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, it's called now, isn't it? And we're on Google Play Podcasts as well. And I think we're also now, of, you can find us on like the Spotify podcast section and even on Amazon podcast, apparently Amazon has a podcast section now. I don't. They know. do. Uh, I haven't yeah. messed around with it too much, but uh, we're on but there. Yeah, they, we're because I searched as soon as I heard that it was a thing. I went and searched for us, and we're on there. So I assume that they're scraping Apple's uh, links or something. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, we're, like we're on. Fair. We're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we're everywhere. <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com. Uh, it has links to our email address for the show and mine and Brian's Twitter accounts. And as we said before, you can join the Facebook group as well at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. All right, Brian, it is your turn to choose the homework for next time. So what are we going to talk about? What are we going to listen to? We're going to listen to an album from this year. Oh, and that is going to be the sixth studio album from the band Warbringer, and it is called Weapons of Tomorrow. So it is Warbringer, Weapons of Tomorrow. Came out in April of this year. I believe it's on Bandcamp, uh, definitely on uh, all the other Amazon, all that kind of jazz. But uh, yep, that's that's who we're listening to. Okay. What I don't, I know nothing about this band. What sort thrash. of stuff is it? Thrash metal. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just straight thrash. <laughs> Yep, American nope. thrash metal band. They've been around since about 2004. Um, I came to them late, but right. am really, really digging them. And uh, this album is definitely, uh, it's a good one in my mind. But I'm sure, interested to hear what other folks think for sure. Fantastic. All right. Well, then that is it then. Warbringer, Weapons of Tomorrow. Uh, this episode should be going out just before the end of the year in 2020. Uh God, what a shit year it's been. Let's just say Holy that moly. straight up front. It's been fucking terrible. Uh, I, we hope that you're all well and safe out there. We hope that you stay well and safe. And let's just hope 2021 is better because, let's face it, it can't be much fucking worse. Um, so everybody... No, it, oh, go on. I mean, I'll just add to that that, um, you know, we talk a lot about how important the community is, especially like us, us all kind of sharing our love for music and how supportive the Facebook community is and how great they are and stuff like that. And we've seen posts throughout, not just this year, but in the past about how, you know, this, this group is helpful to people and, uh, having, you know, friends to kind of lean on in times where, where things are tough. I lost my father this year. And I will tell you that this podcast and the, the thrash it out community and just, the way that you all interact with us and interact with each other and, and help us create this um, community of support has been super important to me. And so I am super grateful for that. And as you know, Anthony said, it has been a fucking terrible year. And I think we all are just so hopeful that 2021 is going to be just a, just a little bit better than this year, but I am eternally grateful and thankful for this show and, and, all of our listeners and everybody who supports the show and, and participates in the discussion. Like it, it, it is very helpful to me, uh, when I'm, when I'm having a tough time. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah. You know, as you say, it's the sort of thing that helps us all keep sane. And, uh, you know, I love doing this show with you. I love you, man. Uh, let's yep. all just love you too, bud. Let's all take care of one another and we'll see you in the new year. Have a good one. Keep thrashing. Take care.
Let's all take care of one another and we'll see you in the new year. Have a good one. Take care. Oh, take keep, care. Keep thrashing. <laughs> yes, keep thrashing. I always fuck that care. off. Keep. Hey, it's all part of the ride. <laughs>